The person you are calling is unable to take your call. Please leave your message after the tone. Hello everyone, Ed Campbell here. This is another round of the Politics Show podcast. Towards the end of last year, the phone hacking scandal crept back into public consciousness when a former cabinet minister accepted a six-figure sum in settling a phone hacking case against the publisher of The Sun and the News of the World. The former cabinet minister in question is Chris Hewn, a Lib Dem who served in the coalition. His case is pretty staggering, bringing into question the scale of phone hacking across the Murdoch empire and what still needs to be done after the Leveson inquiry. I interviewed Chris when he came into politics Joe Towers and I hope you enjoy it. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one! It's the Politics Show cast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for coming in. We're here to discuss your recent settlement with uh, the Murdoch Empire. Yeah. Uh, But for those in our audience who don't know who you are, don't know your history, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah. Um, My name's Chris Hewn. I'm I'm basically... uh, I'm a former politician. I was a politician from uh, 1999 when I was elected to the European Parliament. Then I went into uh, the UK Parliament in 2005 and I was a cabinet minister in the early days of the coalition government, 2010 to 2012. Uh, Before that, I was an economist in the city and before that, I was an economics commentator, economics editor of The Guardian. Um, uh, I worked on The Independent, Independent on Sunday, and on The Economist. So my background is most of all 19 years as a journalist. And then this week, you settled a claim with um, that you were the victim of... You you alleged that you were the victim of phone hacking Mm. and intrusion. Mm. How did that come about? How did the settlement come about? The the settlement came about... I mean, I had long suspected that I had been... Uh, hack, but I had absolutely no evidence and I was unable to go to a lawyer and say, you know, let's just go on a fishing expedition. Um, I had been Shadow Home Secretary in the dying days of the Labour government. I was on the opposition benches for the Lib Dems and when the phone hacking cases came up, I had been responsible for putting down parliamentary questions, asking questions in the House, pressing for reopening the police inquiry because it was clear to me as a former journalist that the story that the Murdoch press was putting out, that this was just a couple of rogue reporters who had been uh, convicted, Glenn Mulcair and um, Clive Goodman, that that simply wasn't, it was ridiculous. Anybody who knew how a newsroom worked would know that that was ridiculous. So uh, actually from that point, I think Murdoch's papers decided that I was bad news and uh, from early 2010, they were clearly targeting me. When I became a cabinet minister, that went into sort of complete overdrive. Mm-hmm. I think that they were really um, uh, very upset that, that somebody who had, in their view, uh, I was just doing my job as, a, as an MP and as a, as a shadow spokesman, but in their view, I had, was displaying hostility towards Murdoch and all the rest of it. Um, and so they then started uh, spending a lot of money on uh, surveillance of me to try and find anything, frankly, that could be, in the Russian term, compromising information that could be used to bring me down. They found that I was having an affair, which um, I, I was. My partner 
uh, Karina as uh, we're, we're still together, but we were um, having an affair and they splashed that all over the news of the world, mm -hmm. um, which was deeply problematic for me personally because it meant that I was unable to do any of the civilized things you would normally do in terms of a divorce and try and be amicable and so forth. It was all deeply humiliating and very difficult for my family and for my, for my children. So, uh, but that was the first uh, episode. And I, I had really suspected that something funny was going on with phone hacking because uh, little bits of information kept getting into the press that we didn't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. You automatically assume, oh, is that, is that somebody you know who's been telling tales out of, you know, out of school? Mm -hmm. is, is it what, what's happening? And my office manager and my constituency was so uh, concerned about it that she actually authorised a, um, a sweep for wow. for bugs. So you know, we were, we, we we this was something that. Um, we were sort of aware of, but uh, I couldn't really believe it, in part because, I, I mean, when I was a minister, I did a, 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 a state visit to Beijing in China, and GCHQ then, and probably now, were extremely um, cautious about any minister turning up in China with their own mobile phones yes. on the grounds that this could potentially be... Uh, contaminated with some sort of bugging device. So they would issue us with literally burner phones for the process of the, of the, the time of the visit. Uh, so I was aware of this, and I was sort of, sort of assumed that if GCHQ was able to look after us like that, then maybe GCHQ would have been aware of what Murdoch mm -hmm. uh, was, was, was doing in terms of the phone hacking. But we now know, of course, the phone hacking was absolutely Fun. endemic. Uh, there was, it was a massive systemic issue for uh, the tabloids and particularly uh, News of the World and The Sun. Um, and it just went on and on and on. Most of it was tittle-tattle. So most of it was just about getting kiss-and-tell stories to get into the News of the World. You know, who was Sienna Miller's later boyfriend or whatever it happened to be. Who was Hugh Grant? You know, it was all about that sort of Hollywood and... And, and celebrity uh, tittle-tattle. But what we discovered um, uh, after 2021 was that the, the phone hacking had been quite extensive within mm -hmm. government. And I was phone hacked not just over the period when they were um, uh, trying to run the News of the World story, but subsequently. And that there were flurries of phone hacking around the time when Murdoch was uh, just about to announce his bid for Sky Television. He owned 39% mm. of B Sky B. He wanted to buy it all at quite a good price at the time. And uh, there was this flurry of phone hacking. And it was of not just me, but of Vince Cable, who was the business secretary, of Norman Lamb, who was the parliamentary private secretary for uh, Nick Clegg, who was the deputy prime minister. Um, this was pretty astonishing. And this was not in the sort of journalistic realm. No, there's no, there's no news interest. In there's this. no there's, there's well, business interest. There may be a news interest, but there's only really a business interest. I mean, what you know, somebody in News Corporation uh, is very keen to know, is the government going to refer the bid for Sky uh, to the Competition Commission uh, or to the Office of Fair Trading? And that would potentially slow it all up 
uh, it would make it much more difficult. Murdoch has always, throughout his career, been very, very good at playing politicians. And this was, but this was, this was new. I've never ever suspected that the corporation would actually indulge in unlawful information gathering activity in order to find something for commercial gain. And the other thing which I think is new in this case is that this was also, I think, the first time where they were going for compromise. They were yep. really trying to find anything which would not just embarrass me, but ideally destroy my political career. Mm. They were targeting me. And that, I think, is also new. I mean, it's, and in both cases, frankly, it's, it ought to be a matter of massive concern for the shareholders, for uh, the listing authorities in the US. This is a, a United States, Delaware uh, corporation that is listed on the NASDAQ. Uh, and we need to basically ensure that that's happening in mm. the US because this is pretty outrageous. I think, for let's go back to kind of the time of the bid to take over mm. B Sky B. What was it that the Murdoch empire kind of objected to and why were you specifically being targeted in that? Why would you be targeted in that? I think that the targeting, they, they thought that I was anti them because I had been calling for a reopening of the police inquiry into phone hacking. Mm -hmm. I didn't buy the story that this was just two rogue journalists, bad apples. That was the, the Murdoch line. These are bad apples. Everything else is fine. And they went on you know, all were saying this is a very small... So they, I didn't buy that story. So they assumed um, that I was anti-news corporation. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose if they'd looked back in the past, I mean, I was, when I was economics editor on The Guardian, uh, in fact, the Sunday Times offered me the economics editorship uh, there, and I'd said no. Um, and I said no in part, frankly, because of my worries about the Murdoch proprietorship. Really? And I was effectively, um, Hugo Young was the deputy editor, Frank Giles, the editor of the Sunday Times, and they tried to persuade me to come and say, no, no, we have all these guarantees that there's going to be independence and so forth. And I've, I never regretted that decision because only a few months later, Hugo Young had resigned and ended up as a colleague on The Guardian. Mm -hmm. So um, I was aware of the potential um, ways in which uh, Murdoch could pursue agendas that he thought was important. But that was always the case with, you know, right-wing newspaper mm -hmm. proprietors. They, they buy newspapers because they have sex appeal and because they, have, uh, they can set an agenda and they can show off to their friends. Uh, in Murdoch's case, it was really rather different. I mean, he was building a massive multinational. I mean, he was Mr. He's Mr. News mm -hmm. in the UK, in the US, in Australia. Uh, and uh, it's an entirely different. I don't think we've seen the like of this sort of empire uh, since probably William Randolph Hearst in the interwar period in the US, uh, who was also massively, and then became the subject for Orson Welles' famous movie, Citizen Kane. But, uh, you know, this is, this is in a different scale. And I think that they decided they didn't want me, certainly in the cabinet, arguing that any bid could be, should be referred mm -hmm. to, uh, frankly, as it should, should have been, and it wasn't, but it should have been referred to the competition authorities. I think that the bid for the Times and the Sunday Times, when 
uh, Modoc only owned the News of the World and the Sun. I think that bid for the Times and the Sub-Saharan should have been uh, referred to the um, uh, competition authorities for a view on whether this was an excessive concentration of power. But I mean, you know, what various points here. Murdoch is controlling nearly 40% of the UK press by circulation. And that's a massive power. Mm -hmm. And it basically means that every government has had to reach some sort of accommodation with him. And you saw that with Thatcher, you saw it with Blair. Um, so they may have known that background as well. But mm -hmm. um, I'm a liberal. And you know, liberals believe that you should countervail excessive concentrations of power, whether they are in the private sector or indeed in the public sector. Um, and so excessive power can be abused. And that's exactly what we see, I think, in the Murdoch case. Not another one. It's the politics show. Cast. Let's come to the trial. So it must be said, News UK deny any wrongdoing. Yep. Yep. Fundamentally, they maintain that you were a senior politician yep. and that any press interest in you was warranted. What evidence do you have that you were the victim of phone hacking? Well, it's available to anybody who wants to go and get it out of the High Court. It's the particulars of claim. It's 33 pages of evidence with, for example, on the phone hacking, there are 222 short calls from the news group Hub, which mm -hmm. houses uh, the Sun and the News of the World. And that was a classic example. They would ring your mobile, uh, your mobile would then be engaged, they would then ring with uh, another phone or a, a, another mobile and they'd be able to pick up your voicemails and play them back. So uh, there was also blagging, there was also surveillance, there are invoices about private investigators and they're saving money on uh, the investigators. They spend a lot of money but they're saving money because because of the phone hacking they're able to predict exactly where you are, when you're going to be there, um, and so forth. You know, because one of the things that you do in those days, I mean, these days you'd text, but in those days voicemails were a very, very common uh, way of uh, just alerting people, okay, meet you at the pub at mm -hmm. eight o'clock or whatever it happened to be. And, you know, lo and behold, you'd turn up at the pub and there'd be uh, a couple of uh, photographers from, you know, the sun or the news of the world or whatever it happened to be. So that was what they were doing. Um, and... Uh, so there's, there's evidence of that sort. And now that, you know, that evidence is, is, is now so strong that Murdoch has paid out £1.2 billion in settlements and in legal costs uh, estimated for all of these um, phone hacking uh, cases, most of which are, you know, Hugh Grant, Sienna Miller. Um, uh, I mean, the one was announced on... Uh, Tuesday, which was sporty uh, spice, you know. so so you know well, that that's Mel the, to give her a that, name. <laughs> that's, that is basically the 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 the, the meat of uh, of most of this phone hacking is about mm. celebrities trying to find out you know what what they're up to and and write stories in the sun and the news of the world. But this exactly the same pattern applies to me, to Vince Cable, 
to Norman Lamb, and we were all hoping to travel together and to arrive at a court date together, but my case was allocated to the earlier trial date of January 2024, so we were effectively separated. But Vince Cable and Norman will, and Norman Lamb will also have um, uh, cases, and mm -hmm. um, uh, they are very strong. In the case of Vince, there are you know, nearly 385 uh, cases of phone hacking. And as I say, you know, as with me, there's this flurry around uh, the um, Sky bid. Uh, so I think, cut a long story short, they're about trying to get rid of political obstacles. Mm -hmm. And they do that with me quite effectively via the news of the world, but then that creates so much bad blood in my family that there's then, you know, further fallout later on with the speeding points mm -hmm. and I end up in being uh, prosecuted and, you know, convicted and going to prison. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, f in my case, they did a pretty good job. <laughs> uh, in, in, in the case of Vince, they wanted him off yep. the case and they wanted him off the case and uh, Vince had had a, a story in the Telegraph um, where of a couple of journalists who'd turned up and he had Ill, rather ill-advisedly said that he thought to them that it would be sensible for Murdoch's bid to be referred. And the evidence for that oddly moves from the Telegraph to uh, the Times group and, the, and, and to, to News group uh, just about the same time that Will Lewis moves from the Telegraph to the uh, to News Group. And uh, at that point, then, uh, Murdoch is able to go and say, look, we need to have Vince Cable off this case because mm -hmm. he needs to recuse himself. And then, surprise, surprise, it gets handed to Jeremy Hunt, who has a very close relationship uh, with uh, Fred Michel, the main... Uh, public affairs lobbyist, executive for News Corporation, uh, and they do not refer it uh, to, Jeremy Hunt does not refer it to the uh, Competition Commission, even though I think clearly it should have been. And ultimately the bid failed as a result of the phone hacking? The bid allegation. failed basically because finally phone hacking became a really big issue in the wake of uh, public disgust when it was revealed that the uh, news group had been phone hacking the phone of a dead girl called mm. Millie Dowler and that uh, her parents and others had thought she was still alive because somebody was extracting the voicemail messages from her phone and therefore she must still be alive and this was just you know uh, unlawful information gathering and it, this is often something that I think people forget with this this was so systemic and so endemic uh, in the tabloids and particularly in uh, news group that they were using it for all sorts of stories. It wasn't just, you know, Hugh Grant and Sienna Miller. Mm -hmm. and it was also, you know, someone who's a school teacher in Bristol who happened to be accused of terrible things, which, you know, complete nonsense. It was, it was um, uh, Millie Dowler's family and so forth. So just ordinary stories. They would just use this as mm. a shortcut to try and get information, even though uh, the consequences could be appalling uh, in terms of the intrusion into people's private lives and into their relationships. Because one thing you do is you, you I mean, if, if, if your personal information is suddenly 
being revealed in the press, and you immediately think, oh, it's, you know, the, the only stop people, trusting people. You stop trusting people. Mm. The only people I've told that to was, you know, my old mate Mick, or, mm. you know, the only person I, who knows that is Jane. It must have been her. Or, I mean, it's just an outrage. You must be driven a bit nuts by it. Well, I hope I've managed to keep Sorry, fairly... I'm not making any allegations about your current <laughs> I, mental state. I, I hope I managed to keep a fairly level. Uh, but I think, funnily enough, um, in my case, I don't think, because they weren't <laughs> basically phone hacking to get little bits of diddle out, I think for someone like Sienna Miller or for you know celebrities who they were constantly writing little stories about, I think that would have been really yeah. undermining. Yeah. From my case, there were relatively few stories compared with the Hollywood celebs, but they were actually clearly stories that were about the commercial, you know, <laughs> they were gather, gathering information about the com for the commercial interests of Rupert Murdoch and for getting rid of a political opponent as mm. they perceived me. That's, that's kind of the, the main headline from your settlement, isn't it? That the allegation that it wasn't just for stories of any kind of news value that the wider corporation yeah. was using it to advance their corporate interests. Yeah. Corporate espionage is the term yeah. that's been used. This has absolutely nothing to do. I mean, you know, I've spent 19 years as a journalist. I was responsible on The Independent for the ongoing inquiries that we had into Robert Maxwell, who had raided his pension fund, into Lloyds of London that were up to all sorts of nefarious activities. So, uh, you know, I totally believe in the role and importance of journalism in holding power to account. That's a noble cause, and it is the most important constitutional role of, uh, of, of journalists. But this had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. This was nothing to do with holding power to account. It was all about increasing the power for Rupert Murdoch, increasing the size of his empire, making more money, making him even more difficult to resist when it came to the next thing that he wanted to get out of, out of a government. And you can see throughout his career, he's been able to roll governments over when they should have said, now, hang on a minute, we don't believe in uh, having so much of the press concentrated in one person's hands, and this should go to the Monopolies Commission or it should go to the Office of Fair Trading. No. Well, you know, he had the power to get through all of that. He did that with Thatcher. Um, uh, there were private meetings, as we know from the files that she kept between uh, Rupert Murdoch and her, which then waved through the takeover of the Times and the Sunday Times. Uh, and uh, the same thing happened uh, later about cross-ownership rules when he got into Sky and then did the merger between Sky and B-Sky, B or BSB, British Satellite Broadcasting as it was, and they, they ended up with 50-50 and, and established a really successful uh, media organisation. That would have been very difficult without relaxing media cross-ownership rules, and they did it again at the beginning of the Labour government mm -hmm. after... Uh, 97, when um, the, effectively Tony Blair and Gordon Brown agreed that they uh, could get rid of the foreign ownership rules, uh, which Murdoch was rather keen to get rid of because obviously as an Australian, uh, that might have got in the way of further um, uh, expansion. And then he actually solved the foreign media, foreign media ownership uh, problem for him in the States uh, by becoming a US citizen. Uh, so he basically changed citizenship so that he could um, go and create, which he did, uh, a fantastic rival to the big 
US TV uh, chains mm -hmm. with, with Fox. Uh, so he's a he's a very successful and very clever businessman. I give him that, you know, but he has taken the shortcuts and 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 his organisations have been involved in unlawful information gathering, you know, frankly, not just for journalistic purposes but for corporate purposes, mm -hmm. and that needs to be called out. I'm going to just say again for Balance News UK, do deny that. Just for but they do absolutely uh, deny that, and and you know all I would say is that if they were denying it and they thought that they could win these cases in court, why have they paid out 1.2 billion pounds? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, these are a lot of small settlements. In my own case, it's a six-figure settlement plus legal costs, and I'm sure I don't know yet quite how much my lawyers and how much their lawyers are getting. But you know, as with usually these things, the lawyers do better than anybody else. <laughs> uh, but the, the reality is that it's. It, it beggars belief to think that they would go on settling these cases if they had a prayer of being able to dismiss them in court. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't. If there's so much evidence, why did you accept the settlement and not take it to trial? You can't take it to trial. One of the outrageous and unjust things, in my view, which we need to look at in the way that the English and Welsh legal system works on a civil matter like this, is you make a, a claim, uh, and if the defendant offers more than your lawyers think you would get in court, uh, then you have a big problem, because if you do go to court, even if you win, even if the judge says, yes, I'm going to give you £200,000, and if uh, Murdoch has already offered you £250,000, to take an example, uh, then that means that you will have to pay all of Murdoch's legal costs, all of them. And believe me, you just looked at that court hearing on Tuesday, and you see the sort of silky, uh, well-suited, well-tailored uh, cases and, 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 and people from Clifford Chance that Murdoch has arrayed on his side of the court and you know, this is not going to be cheap. So it would be millions and for me therefore I had a very simple choice. Do I take a large cheque from uh, News Corp to settle or do I go bankrupt? It's quite an easy decision. It's a quite easy decision. Now maybe at some point we will have someone who is both angry enough and rich enough to go all the way to court, who wants to spend the money and actually take the risk that the judge will uh, give more, um, as long as the judge gives more than they've offered. But up until now, I think the legal strategy for News Group has been very simple. Uh, it has been to offer more than anybody realistically thinks they could get in court, and that keeps it out of open court. So ironically, you know, they were saying afterwards, well, you know, Chris Hume could always, always have gone to open court. Oh, yes, I could have gone to open court in exactly the same way, uh, you know, as, 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 as arguably uh, you could uh, be a beggar in the street and, and take a private plane. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not likely. Nick Davis, the investigative journalist who uncovered phone hacking at News Corp, said reviewing the circumstantial evidence, he thinks that this suggests that Rupert Murdoch is interested in or capable of undermining or even overthrowing a democratically elected government. What do you make of that assessment? Well, I don't know whether, I mean, you know, you never know what people are capable of until they're actually faced with 
those circumstances. Uh, most of us, hopefully, have a sort of stop button uh, which says, you know, there's some sort of moral compass in there which says, don't, you know, this is not where we go. But I, what I do think um, is the case, and in my statement on uh, the steps of the court on Tuesday, I made the point that we need to join up the cases against the Murdoch empire in the US and the cases that have gone against the Murdoch empire in the UK, because there is something in common. And what is in common, uh, if you look at the case uh, that Dominion Voting Systems took, a libel case against uh, Fox in the US for libeling them, saying that the election had been stolen and that their voting machines were partly to blame. Now, you know, what they discovered in the process of discovery and came out in the prior hearings before uh, the trial, so it was, cover it was covered because it could be uh, reported in court in those hearings, they discovered that Fox knew this was nonsense. That basically Murdoch knew that the election had been fairly won by Joe Biden, and yet they persisted for purely commercial reasons because their base was all, were all these Trump maniacs who believed that uh, the election had been stolen by Joe Biden. They persisted in actually going on saying that. So this was an unbelievably aggravated, malicious mm. libel. I mean, you know, you may suggest a, something by accident which may be libelous, but to go on repeatedly saying that this is something when you know it's not true. Now, you know, that's... For someone to be in charge of a media organization, which a media organization by definition ought to be about telling the truth as it sees it, as much as it can. And for somebody who's clearly going on lying and, and, and seeing that, it's, it's, it's frankly outrageous. So there is an undermining of democracy clearly coming out of that Fox case in, with Dominion Voting Systems. And I think you can see exactly the same undermining of democracy on the UK side in the way in which they simply, you know, they, they regard it as perfectly okay for corporate reasons to go and uh, phone hack uh, the Energy and Climate Change Secretary, the Business Secretary, uh, the Parliamentary Private Secretary, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, you know, not for any other reason than that it just will happen to make their uh, life easier in making more money. Now, that is a contempt for democracy, which is an exact parallel with what you saw in the US with the Dominion voting uh, machine system. Now, I don't know whether that means that he would actually try and overthrow a democratically elected government. Who knows? But there's no doubt that democracy for him is a minor detail because he's not about telling the truth, he's about making money, he's about expanding the reach of his media empire, and that's that. Christian, thank you for joining me.